Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people the world, and especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices to be found only in the minds of men. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government, but they control our culture. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children. In music, television, books. Pray on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. You can deny all the things I've seen, all the things I've discovered, but not for much longer, because too many others know what's happening out there. And no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with envy.
curious eyes. Perception is the key, and the heart yeah. is the solution. Heart perception will change everything. I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. If you'd like to contact The Secret Teachings now or after the show or before any show, you can email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. Find us on social media at facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings. You can also find my personal Facebook page there, Ryan Gable. And check out our website at www.thesecretteachings.info where you can find our full show archive, our montage archive, my books, and more, all at www.thesecretteachings.info. The archive is now powered by Captivate. And some of you might have noticed that the Spreaker shows are no longer available. They've just been moved over to Captivate. And I've had to adjust the archive on the website So instead of having to access each individual year, there is now a player in the main archive tab at the top of the page. You click on that, go into it, and you'll be able to scroll through every single episode as it's uploaded to Captivate. And it's just a small line. It tells you the episode name. It shows you the show notes. You can download it with your subscription, and you can listen to it on the website. It's much more streamlined. It's it's, it's much simpler. And unlike the uh, remainder of my setup, it's not as antiquated as we've been since the beginning. Though I like to keep things very simple, and sometimes updating them actually makes them simpler uh, and makes it easier to, to utilize. So that is on the website, thesecretteachings.info. For any of you who have questions about that, whether you're a subscriber now or you're thinking about becoming a subscriber, it supports the show, it supports the network, the Fringe FM, and hopefully, I think, it probably supports you as well. If you missed last night's show, it's in the archive. It's a show we did with a good friend of ours, longtime friend of The Secret Teachings, Brad Olson. We talked with Brad about Beyond Esoteric, his new book in the book trilogy known as the Esoteric Book Series. Brad was with us for the entirety of the show, and you can listen to that in the archive. Tonight, we have an author named Anthony Tyler. He wrote a book called Empirical Investigations of Mysticism, which is directly in line with, I believe, the secret teachings. We'll talk to Anthony here in a moment. It's called The Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism. And I've honestly not been able to read the entire thing from front to back because I've been editing the second edition of my book, The Technological Elixir, which I just about finished today entirely. Uh, and we've had to reschedule the show with Anthony number a number of times. And I got down to like 1 o'clock this afternoon, and I spent like hours and hours and hours and hours and hours editing this book. And I got done about 30 minutes before the show tonight, uh, got Anthony on the line, and uh, I pulled up his book, uh, The Dive Manual, here in my, uh, my PDF viewer. We're going to look at this tonight, and we're going to talk to Anthony about his work and his Empirical Investigations of Mysticism. Anthony, welcome to The Secret Teachings. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me on. Absolutely. You contacted me, so I'd like to ask you, uh, why was that? Have you heard The Secret Teachings show before? 
Um, uh, not, not initially, but, um, since contacting you, um, I think maybe we were like recommended mutually on Facebook or something like that. And, um, and then I found out about the show, um, and checked it out a bit more. And I have been on, uh, good old lighting the void with Joe Roop. Uh, he actually now, uh, Joe is a swell guy. He, uh, he was kind enough to give me, um, a nice, uh, on air, uh, you know, a little summary. And, uh, he, he called it, uh, Carl Jung meets Hunter Thompson. So, uh, I put that on the back of the book now for, uh, with his approval. So, uh, shout out to Joe. Um, and so, yeah, through basically through lighting the void, uh, I've come to, uh, find a lot more of the shows on, uh, the fringe FM and it's good stuff. I love what you guys are doing. I appreciate it. I know Joe would pr- appreciate it as well. I, I saw that quote too on the, uh, the Amazon page for your book. And uh, I remember reading something on Facebook about this book. Uh, I like to give authors an opportunity to promote their book immediately rather than waiting to the end of a segment. Uh, but I remember I, I saw something on Facebook about how your book was not going to be in print or something like that. Or is that not true? Is it still in print? Oh, yeah. No, it's still in print. Um, maybe what you saw was um, I did for a while um, re- release a, the e-copy for free. So I might have said that you couldn't get the the, the print copy for free. Okay. But yeah, no, it's, it's in print for sure. You could go check it out. Um, it's on Amazon. Um, and I, I also, for whatever it's worth, I'm not sure how it's going to pan out, but, uh, Amazon just, uh, approved like however many authors for, um, not that I, I love the big corporations or anything, but you got to self publish somehow. And they just approved uh, certain authors for hardbacks. So, mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to be putting out a hardback soon. I'm not sure how many people would really be interested in that, but I sure want one at least to put on my shelf. <laughs> so <laughs> that's anyway. right. That, that's, that's what I, I would like to do with my, uh, my books as well as have a hard copy. They used to mm-hmm. do those through, um, I think it was Lulu publishing. Uh, I think that was an old publisher, but yeah, unfortunately, as much as I don't like Amazon, I utilize them for the self publishing I, I kind of feel that the publishing of the books outweighs the support of the company in that respect. That's how I justify it. I don't know. I I think so. I mean, it's it's hard enough to be an independent artist, let alone an independent author these days. So um, not that I don't enjoy it. I wouldn't do it if I didn't love it. But it's kind of an uphill battle like in the, uh, in the today's modern era of TikToks. Um, writing a full book is... Uh, it's a niche audience. It's not a non-existent one, but, um, it's uh, so you got to have the hustle on, um, to pro- self promote and get, get your work out there. Oh do yeah. Your due diligence. Oh yeah, absolutely. So the book's called empirical investigations of mysticism. If we define what is empirical, it's something based on or concerned with a ver- a verifiable observation or experience rather than a theory or pure logic. And that definition and that word are things that we don't often find in the fields or the investigations into things that are, let's call them paranormal or let's call them, well, uh, mystic, mysticism. Um, mm-hmm. How does this apply to your work? How did you come to this title? And can you tell us a little bit about what the book is? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you're studying or try, just trying to look into something like the paranormal or mysticism, just the umbrella idea concept of the unexplainable in general, um, it's inevitably going to bring you past the realm of empiricism. But I feel like, uh, as an existentialist, just philosophically, um, I think that 
with something like just with the unexplainable in general, uh, since it's indicative of the human experience, um, it, the only real, only real uh, common denominator we have in unexplainable accounts and phenomena is the human experience and what we can gather um, tangibly. Uh, and that's not to say that that's where the trail of breadcrumbs ends. Uh, like you know, someone say Richard Dawkins would. Uh, would talk about because I do I like uh, I appreciate the uh, it's a dumb name but the quote unquote you know like new atheist philosophy I like Dawkins and Sam Harris I don't uh, like everything they say I think it's some of it obviously throwing the baby out with the bathwater and uh, if to me that that baby being thrown out is you know existentialism it's what is the human experience um, and you know even Sam Harris himself funny enough he'll talk about you know he'll dance around the idea that how can free will exist? And then you ask him, um, and if he'll, he'll be the first one to admit that of course he acts as if free will exists. And of course he doesn't tell his young children that free will doesn't exist. And so gets into this idea of, um, I think we're asking the wrong questions. Like what is belief really? And what is faith? Uh, because, uh, those are, really those are uh, more fundamental than free will i do think free will does exist but it's a lot more nuanced and i think there's a bit more of an ebb and flow but anyway in terms of uh mysticism and the unexplainable um you know for me the uh the first the first uh real i don't know the the first thing I could really sink my teeth into was psychology, and that was Carl Jung and Viktor Frankl, for sure. And it's just, just this whole, uh, I'm sure all your listeners just about are familiar with Jung, and probably most of them with Frankl. And for those that aren't familiar with Frankl, he's um, the guy who developed logotherapy, which is, you know, Adler had the will to power, um, and, uh, and uh, Frankl um, had the will to meaning. And, you know, there's all these different will twos in classical psychology. And the idea of meaning is certainly the most compelling because you could say all these other things like people crave power, they crave whatever else. But why, why do they crave that? It's because it's because of context. There's, it's this, you know, Joe Campbell sort of hero's journey. There's, um, people crave context and syntax to their, to the story of their lives, so to speak. So, um, and, uh, and, you know, mysticism really helps us, uh, do that under, uh, looking into these things, the, the unexplainable in general helps us do that. Um, and as I'm sure we'll get into further down, it helps us do it in the same ways as like analyzing a dream or even, um, uh, producing art. You know, sometimes it's very, um, I'm sure most artists are familiar with the experience of like being, creating something in a flurry, whether it's a painting or a short story or whatever, and then going back and reading it later. And then you see like little pieces of yourself that you didn't realize while oh, yeah. the creation process was happening. And, and yeah. And so exploring, um, unexplainable parts of our existence, uh, while we may not always get concrete answers, we will find, we will find some concrete answers to it, but uh, you know, inevitably, um, new answers lead to more questions and that's kind of the fun of it in a way. Yeah. But, um, th those, those questions too, Anthony, I, I, I agree with you. I think a lot of the times we're asking the wrong types of questions 
And mm-hmm. I, I have these realizations as well. When I was going back and editing my technology book, or I've looked at my occult arcana book a few times and just flipped through it and, you know, made a little notation here to add something. And I do see the, the that creative process. And sometimes I read my own stuff and I, and I feel like I didn't write that. I don't remember writing that. I feel like something channeled. It's not a negative thing. It's just part of the creative flow of energy. Mm-hmm. And I'll just notice, for example, the other day I was reading something that I had written in my technology book, and I thought, people talk about God's plan. And we always ask that question, what is God's plan? You know, the famous comedian George Carlin would say, you know, what, what, what good is God's plan if any schmuck with a $2 prayer book can come along and, and mess it up? And it's, <laughs> it's, it's like mm-hmm. you, you realize the deeper you, that you go or the higher that you go, if you will, into mysticism and occultism, that, that a concept like God's plan has many meanings. And I realize that God's plan isn't necessarily a plan per se. It's the, it's the ability of the individual to grow. It's the ability of the individual to create new life, have children, have a family, whatever it might be in the natural context. That's God's plan. It's not like a plan like we write down to take a vacation or to you know have errands that we run tomorrow. And you know, we see the mystical things in and we try to compare them to the way that we live our physical life. And I don't think you can compare the two that well. And I, and that's why we have metaphor and that's why we have parable. And that's why we have symbols because that communicates to the subconscious in ways that we otherwise, you know, wouldn't be able to understand. And some people just interpret it as very literal. Right. Yeah. The, the literalism is uh, a classic pitfall there because um, you know, this, this is something that I've certainly thought about a bit. Uh, the idea that, you know, you're right. Um, essentially, um, you know, I don't mean to uh, come across uh, atheist here at all, but these ideas of gods and things, um, you know, angels, demons, uh, they uh, they are a caricature is a bit of a, a rough word to use there, but they're they persona they're you know, they're human, uh, humanizations of yeah, like expressions. Uh, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're, uh, dare I say artistic expressions of, um, you know, primordial, uh, it's physics essentially, you know, like that's what, that's the whole idea. Um, you know, Jung was, uh, was, was the, under the tutelage of Freud and, 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 uh, Freud essentially was, you know, the first one to start, thinking of psychology as physics of the mind. That's why they start calling it psychodynamics after thermodynamics. And that's why uh, they were all so fascinated. Even Freud, um, they, they were all fascinated with, uh, with, uh, you know, Greek and Roman mythology and, uh, and the, the, the mystery teachings and these things. And uh, it was just Jung who kind of took the torch and really ran with it. But yeah. Um, well, you know, Anthony, when when I think of something like uh, a paranormal um, phenomena, uh, let's let's think of something like you said. You say psycho. I think psychometry. I was reading about psychometry recently, which is the ability to touch an object or touch a person and essentially gather information in in an instant of where that object was, uh, of what that person is thinking. So it's kind of like telepathy in a way. You can kind of read minds, but you can also read the object. And I was thinking about psychometry in the context with what we consider to be paranormal or parapsychological. And I thought that um, 
we're designing, you know, things as a, as a species collectively technologies that allow computers and other out things like algorithms to read our thoughts based on patterns. And that's like a very mechanical way to do it. But I think naturally, and this is at the heart of mysticism, we, we can feel it, it might not be so empirical, but we can feel like if you've ever had a really uh, close uh, romantic partner or you have a wife or a, you have a child or a really, really cl- close good friend, you know, at some point in, re- in relationships with human beings, you can start to, you know, and it's based on patterns, a lot of it and, you know, uh, body language, but you know what the other person's thinking. You can essentially read their mind. And I, th- mm-hmm. I, I think that there's a, there's a dangerous line that's crossed when we think we can forget about mysticism and spirituality in those contexts, take those abilities and confine them to some, you know, paranormal box that we want to throw out and then try to recreate them in a mechanical or technological fashion. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, that kind of, you know, the listeners take it for what you will. Um, I've always kind of, you, you, you made me think of, well, once I got this idea in my head, I really could never get it out. But, uh, the idea that like these, all these black mirrors, these phones and laptops and things, they're really uh, not so much different, um, to Ouija boards. If you really think about it, sure. There's a bit, uh, there's a bit more of a sound process behind it, but, um, I guess they, the best way to put that would be, I really think that if someone were to see these things from hundreds of years ago, that's pretty much what they would call it. So, um, there's, um, yeah, it's weird to think about like, uh, mysticism in the, uh, in, in this postmodern realm, but you know, the, uh, the, where the empiricism really, um, uh, you know, strikes home for me is just in general, um, you know, evolutionary pressures. These, uh, it sounds, you know, people are oftentimes asking the wrong questions. I feel like, again, you know, people are like, what is, is God real? Like, what is the meaning of my life? Um, and you know, sure, those are fine questions and all, but you know, I think that if, um, people need to start looking at mysticism in a more practical way because if you look at it in a, this sort of evolutionary historical context you see that mysticism well it, it, it there's a there's a lot of pageantry to it you know you think of classical ceremony and ritual um it, it's always met practical it's it, it's been means to to meet practical ends you know it's been uh, this trial and error process that people have used. Um, you know, you look at divination, like astrology, there's no cut and paste uh, textbook version of astrology, really. And people like to woo it up a lot. And I think that there's a lot of fluff there. And I don't go and look at daily horoscopes or anything like that. But when you look at the historical context of these things and you see that pretty much at any given civilization throughout ancient history to the modern day, um, in one form or another was fascinated with astrology. Um, and it's not even so much, you know, people, again, they like to over mystify and like new age these things up so much, but it's really just at its core, um, astronomy and how, uh, at best, what, what the best minds of the time were, uh, theorizing how astronomy might, 
affect the earth mm-hmm. and the the earth's presence like i.e the you know the electromagnetic presence etc um and how that in turn you know through some like chaos theory might actually affect the human condition and those are very valid scientific points and so you know again with astrology you could you could squabble about the different uh camps and and and, and different theologies associated with certain forms of astrology but the basic premise is uh is something very fundamentally interesting and um um so that that just goes to show that mysticism you know that's just one example of how initially it always comes from a practical place and i think people today they think um you know the the, the religious experience in general um just the mystical experience that transpersonal is kind of a word i like to use just that thing that gets you out of yourself into that that other state that that trance state um it um yeah, people people think that uh, that's almost antithetical to practicality, but you know that's why I've always I don't necessarily consider myself like like a, a full blown like chaos magician. Um, I think that you know that word um, it's got a lot of baggage associated with it. Um, but I think that the idea of chaos theory uh, associated with um, um, a, 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 again for its implications not only physically but also psychologically we talked about like physics physics of the mind in these things and thermodynamics um right um you know it uh how it's um these things have uh they are expressions uh, you know mysticism in general it's it's expressions of how to bridge the gap between you know our ideals and the impractical and let's um, Let's talk about that more after break. Anthony Tyler is our guest, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism. In the book, in the first part of the book, in the first chapter, he breaks a lot of this down, which is, I think, very practical. That's how I've written some of my books as well, as I break down the meanings of certain words and certain ideas. Again, the book, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism, Anthony Tyler. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's more after this. Don't go anywhere right here on The Fringe FM. Stay with us. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Hey there, it's Ryan Gable, host of The Secret Teachings, right here on The Fringe FM, Monday through Friday. As we move from the month of Janus into the month of Imbolc, traditionally a time of ritual cleansing, The Secret Teachings is offering a special deal to help you clear the cobwebs out of your mind. With a one-year subscription to the show, access to all of the montages, all of my digital books, and a free copy of one of my books in physical form with free shipping in the United States and autographed if you'd like. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe today by donating $40 through PayPal. Your support keeps us on air and helps to support the Fringe FM as a network. It also hopefully helps you to expand your consciousness and perceptions of the world through The Secret Teachings. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe today by donating $40 through PayPal. That's thesecretteachings.info and rdgable at yahoo.com. Alex Exum. My name is Alex Exum and you're listening to The Fringe FM. 
So you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on 24-7 with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality, of your reality, of your reality? Do you question the nature of your reality? Join me, host Jess Rogie of The Rogie Report, as we find out more about the strange reality we live in. Here on The Fringe FM, KTLK Digital Broadcasting. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show. You can find me at Truth Frequency Radio. Or on my home website, www.kevbakershow.com. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. The truth is out there. And so are we. KTLK. Digital Broadcasting. The Fringe FM. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com. And you're listening to... The Secret Teachings, excellent shows. Keep listening with your host, Ryan Gable. You're listening to The Fringe FM, where the wheel of the year turns from Yule to Letha, Ostara to Maybon. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. This is David Icke, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. It's time you got acquainted with the real hard truth. This is Michael Strange from Troubled Minds. Did you hear that scientists recently discovered radio waves coming from Proxima Centauri? Well, I cannot confirm nor deny we are broadcasting from that neck of the woods. You are listening to KTLK, The Fringe FM. Hi there, I'm Ryan Gable, host of The Secret Teachings radio show right here on The Fringe FM. On The Secret Teachings, we cover parapsychology, pop conspiracy, magic myth, health, and more. You can catch The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday after Joe Roop and Lighting the Void right here on The Fringe FM. For more information, you can visit our website at www.thesecretteachings.info. host Ryan Gable and you're listening to the secret teachings radio show on the fringe FM you can find us Monday through Friday right here on the fringe after lighting the void at the same time each night find us online at the secret where you can subscribe to our full show archive you get access to all the broadcasts after they air you'll also get access to the montage archive and my books in digital form with your $40 donation For the subscription, you'll also get a physical copy of one of my books, either Food Philosophy, The Technological Elixir, or Occult Arcana. And that book is autographed if you'd like and shipped free in the United States. And it is uh, 
how we conduct our radio broadcast. We try to do things very simple. We try to do things very cheap. And we try to do that while providing you with the most in-depth analysis and the, uh, the most, what I would consider to be powerful or thought-provoking information for the uh, resources that we have. That's the way that I kind of see the secret teachings. Tonight on the broadcast, somebody who is also interested in the secret teachings, uh, and I mean that in more ways than one, is Anthony Tyler, author of Empirical Investigations of Mysticism. The book is on Amazon, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism, the Dive Manual. You may have heard him on Lighting the Void with Joe Roop. Tonight he is here with us on The Secret Teachings. Anthony, tell us about this book a little bit. You mentioned uh, chaos theory, and I had been opened. Uh, I had opened the book earlier, and I had opened to that page, and I had it open. But you've got the book broken into two parts. When I have an author, and I like to let them just kind of go through their book because I'm an author. I know how it is doing interviews or conversations. So tell us a little bit about the book. You have Esoteric Science and Widow's Son for the two parts of the book. Tell us a little bit about the book, what those two parts are about, and what listeners can uh, find if they grab a copy. Yeah, sure thing. So um, as a good starting point, um, and to branch off from where we were at the the, the break there, um, to the ends of chaos theory and uh, you know, like analytic psychology, um, the, the idea for me again is really results based. Um, so that's not to say that if you can, if you understand a series of events, like I- I- ingredients, uh, you might not understand, um, what happens. You might not understand all of the science in between what you're doing and the end results, but there are many cases where you can certainly see that you're doing something and getting an end result. And that counts for something. And that's where this whole idea of heuristic, uh, comes in, in uh, evolutionary psychology, uh, that whole idea right there. And, uh, so again, with something like mysticism and just the unexplainable in general, uh, I think it's so crucial to consider what the, actual practical real world results are of your beliefs because you know we live a dual existence we have this you know metaphysical if you will and then we also have the practical and i think that uh people have a really hard time uh doing both at the same time but i think that that's a very useful um pro-adaptive mindset to have and so that's what so much of uh dive manual is about really and um, it, it, again, with the evolutionary pressures, uh, for me, you know, the, the, the biggest pressure was, uh, a woman, um, way back when. And, um, and it, so, and I also, um, there were some other things as well, but initially I, uh, uh, I had a, I've, I'd always been into philosophy and these things, but, um, many years ago I had a dream about a woman before I met her and, that was that was kind of the first uh, peek behind the Oz's curtain, so to speak, of just like what is what is happening here. Um, and you look into that more, you know that uh, love takes you on its course, and you go through the ins and outs, and um, eventually, you know, you find uh, 
romance is an interesting thing, right? Because yeah, I mean, even the mystics, like even the 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 Kabbalists themselves, um, uh, like getting into the tree of life and these things, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about soon. You know, they'll get into the whole idea of romance being this like almost fractal like reflection. There's some sort of psychological physics going on uh, where you are um, able to see your highest potentials and your lowest points like all in the neck the all in the uh, in the nexus of this person so to speak and uh in any case um so that got me looking into these things more and that is a bit of an arc throughout the book just to help contextualize all of the all of the different stuff going on in there because i try to touch on quite a bit um yeah there's a lot in here (laughs) and uh i i gotta say that's probably the biggest uh, criticism, which is totally fair. And that's something I knew writing it to begin with. So it's not very surprising. Um, don't take that uh, as if I can, if I can, don't take that as a criticism. My book, my, my book, Occult Arcana is so big and so detailed that I had a publisher tell me that it was too much like a college dissertation and that nobody would read it because it was too much. So I think I think that's <laughs> yeah. a compliment to you, Anthony. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, yeah. It, um, I I appreciate that perspective. Um, yeah, I would I would have to agree. Um, I had a friend call it an anti coffee table book. Uh, <laughs> so I thought that was cool. That's good. Um, yeah. Um, hey, you mentioned so, you mentioned Manly P. Holland here to start out, which is oh, yeah. his book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages, is what I named this show after. It was one of the most significant books, the most significant. Uh, pieces of information, series of pieces of information that I've I've ever read, and he mm-hmm. he was twenty four I think when he published that. He was very very young. You strike me as pretty young too. I'm I just turned thirty, but I wrote a lot of my books when I was in my mid twenties. How old are you? Just out of curiosity. Uh, uh in on February twenty second uh, this year, as of recording this, I will be twenty five. So I'm twenty four right now. Um, so you're very you're very young too, man. You, you're publishing your book uh, around the same age Hall published his book. Yeah, and you know, certainly not meant to be any sort of comparison made here. But that was cert- that was that was an inspiration. Um, I was I was certainly fascinated. Uh, there were several characters, uh, personalities that uh, I was not only interested in their research, but I wanted to know more about uh, their who they were like Jung and John Keel and Manly Hall. Uh, so and Hall was always so enigmatic. He's a very fascinating character. He seemed to just, uh, from what I, uh, from what I understand, he was, you know, a pretty shy, quiet kid and, uh, almost a little ostracized and, and just kind of like nurtured himself over the years in a library, just studying all the like most esoteric philosophical books he could find. And then somehow in the midst of all that, um, that mental alchemy, it just clicked and he just had to let it all out and just kind of snowballed from there. And it's like, well, you know, if, if Manly P Hall could write the damn secret teaching of all ages at 24, (laughs) I could at least put out a 200 page or so 220 page book about, my experiences with mysticism. So yeah, I love Manly Hall. He, him and Jung are definitely my, uh, my greatest influences. Uh, they were certainly the, uh, the snowball effect, both of them that got me into these things. If, if I can recommend to you and to listeners, another author, uh, a more modern author, uh, have you ever heard of Mark Booth? I have heard that name, but I, I can't honestly say I'm familiar with a lot of his stuff. 
Well, well, for you and for anybody who's interested, and some of you might remember, we've interviewed Mark Booth like four times. I think we're the only show to have ever interviewed him. His real name's Jonathan Black, and he wrote two books. One was on the New York Times bestseller list called The Secret History of the World, and the other book was The Sacred History. And in my opinion, those were, with the density and the con- context of what was in them, those were very, very close to a modern version of the secret teachings of all ages. And so I thought that that might be something that you'd, you'd want to look into after the show as well. But there are so many authors that were inspirational, it seems to you, uh, just as they've been inspirational to me. And you see that just writing, you know, Manly Hall didn't intend to inspire, uh, you know, someone in their mid-20s to write a 200-plus page dive manual. But <laughs> it's it's the work of people that sit down diligently and put together this bit, these bits of information that come together to tell a story that because it's a labor of love or because it's God's plan, as we talked about earlier, in a sense, it allows for a loving, warming inspiration that creates new things. And mm-hmm. it is a timeless thing. And so you in your mid-20s have put together this book, which, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of people in their mid-30s that don't understand, you know, a, a, a majority of some of the words that you use in the book, let alone the overall <laughs> concept of what you've written, Anthony. I, I mean that to be a compliment. Yeah, I appreciate that. I do. Um, yeah, you know, and uh, to that point, actually, um, and the idea of like mysticism being practical and very personal and quintessentially existential, um, as I wrote the book or, um, not as I compiled it rather, uh, I started to notice the, uh, the, how much of myself I saw in the mythology of old and, 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 and that helped click more and more that, okay, this is part of the point. You're supposed to see yourself in these things and you're supposed to, dive a little deeper into what you gravitate towards because, you know, it's the, the layers of the onion. And, um, so for me, I found, I found a lot of merit and insight, um, especially into the works of, um, Dante and, um, Gautier, specifically with the divine comedy and Faust, um, just because of their approach to, uh, not only like good and evil, but, the, uh, the, you know, like in, in, in Jungian terms, the, uh, like the logos with the shadow, the idea of yourself as the creator versus, uh, what you fail to perceive or simply cannot even perceive to begin with. And, um, and also, uh, especially how, uh, both of those poems and both of those, uh, poets were so heavily inspired by the muse that their own personal muses. And, um, that's why, you know, for me, I like, I've always been a writer. It wasn't like I had this epiphany and then decided to write. I've literally been writing since a young child. So for me, having done this research and, and learning these things about myself, it's only natural that I would, you know, take the steps to put it into a book. But, um, that process would have happened without me writing the book. And that's really kind of the whole motif I'm trying to get across. I feel like is that as, as silly as it might sound, um, you know, we really are like writing We're the, the heroes on the journey, we're writing the narrative of of our lives and you have to kind of 
you can't have a passive approach. You got to kind of take the the devil by the horns and and get deep in there and figure out what's making your brain tick. Uh, you know, this is why um, I like to deal with the practical things like dreams and hypnosis and trance states um, and you know, psychedelics, you know, quite a double-edged sword. Um, talk about is people wooing and new aging it up too much. Uh, the like not quite corporatization, but the, the like industrialization almost of psychedelics today has become a little bit concerning. But that being said, um, I think it is very foolish to throw the baby out with the bathwater with the psychedelics because as many people have said before, that's one of those uh, quintessential things where you don't need to take anybody's word for it. If you can find the substance, you can experience it yourself. And, and, uh, that is, that's a classic. That's a, that in dreams. And another example I dissect in the book, um, sleep paralysis, you know, there's certain very fundamental, uh, experiences that have, uh, you know, that have biological, uh, qualities to them. Uh, based off of evolutionary pressures and we all experience them and these things naturally like innately bl uh, bleed into this sort of unexplainable metaphysical realm like sleep paralysis we have the science to understand now that generally speaking I, I'll you know mince words a little bit here um, or not to mince words rather it's essentially your body jamming up a little bit your sleep process and you start you know, projecting the, the, your bodily map elsewhere. Um, and so, uh, you, this thing, it, you, so you, your senses are all jammed up and that's part of the, the, you know, the paralysis thing. But then all these strange anomalous things happen that no amount of science can really fully articulate or contextualize it all. And that's where you start to bleed into the paranormal. Um, and I, Sleep paralysis is fascinating. I haven't experienced it very much. I've I've experienced it twice in my life as a young child, and uh, it wasn't anything extremely intense, but it was enough to understand and remember the experience. Uh, but that's one that I have kind of kept in my arsenal of like data for a long time. That's something that I am always interested in hearing people's accounts about because again, it's almost as pervasive as dreaming itself. Like yeah. everyone, everyone dreams, not everyone has sleep paralysis, but I guarantee you, I'll bet a lot of money in Vegas that, uh, <laughs> almost, if not everybody knows someone that, uh, struggles with sleep paralysis. You know what I mean? So, um, I've had it many, that's, many times myself and, and some of them haven't, some of them I would argue are not sleep paralysis and that's, where you get into this gray area, which mm -hmm. is why I, I've always thought that what we call the paranormal or what people might call alien abductions or demonic possession, all these things can be defined in a lot of ways, Anthony, but I think that it's unfortunate people, if they take the side of whatever science is, quote unquote, and, and or whatever the paranormal is, it's like these two or three or multiple different communities. Uh, we kind of, the, the scientists kind of look at the paranormal as junk DNA. They don't really understand right. it, so they just kind of throw it away. And then, you know, paranormal communities kind of look at science sometimes, not all, maybe paranormal not so much, but, you know, mystical communities kind of look at science and they say, you know, that's, that's kind of like junk DNA. We don't want to deal with that. But really, 
I, we have these arbitrary you know, guidelines on what's considered astro- astrology or astronomy, et cetera, et cetera. But really, it's all the same thing. It's all a life experience. It's all, there's just different ways we try to classify it based on whether mm-hmm. we understand it in orthodox terms or not. Absolutely. Um, and so to bring that uh, to the, uh, the scope of the book specifically a little more, um, so you mentioned that it's broken up into two parts. The first part being more so experience from a historical point of view, um, and the second one being the more of the individual experience, so kind of a macrocosm, microcosm a bit. So the first part, esoteric science being you know, looking at just kind of taking the biggest uh, catch-all pieces that people commonly understand today as like occultism or new age and, uh, you know, just looking into it from a, a skeptical but open-minded point of view. Because I've, I've always been, I've always had the idea, you know, I've always been like a spiritual person, but I've I'm, I, I, that being said, I've always been very skeptical as well. So, you know, looking into things like um, reincarnation and afterlife in general, um, d- divination practices, whether it be dreams or astrology or tarot, uh, numerology. Uh, and I, it's not like I'm uh, some expert wizard in all of these things, but I can certainly say that I've done my due diligence enough to understand, again, the common denominator here being what so th- there is some history involved as well but ultimately overall the the overall common denominator being like what is a person getting out of this um let's set aside whether or not god is real or not what are you getting out of the the your belief in god and when you when you start to this, that's how jung approached it that's um um in many cases not always of course but that is one of the approaches that Manly Hall as well um, I, I've heard take in, uh, in especially as lectures. Um, and that's one that, you know, John Keel and Jacques Vallée, uh, that approach of um, let's see what the, what the experiencer has to say first and foremost is, I think, very crucial and something that is lost um, upon, I don't know, just a lot of people in general looking into these things. Um, but would you say that's the same with how we define ourselves? People are eager to define themselves as Christian or Muslim, as mystic or shaman. But really, it's a matter of what the experience is that propels you forward. In fact, I want to go back to what you said about uh, various forms of hallucinogenics. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I agree uh, greatly with you on that uh, line because I was, and more synchronicity, if you will, I was finishing up my technology book tonight, and the very last page of the book, I kind of mentioned that. Uh, and I also have talked about it on the show before, how in the mystery schools, people would abstain from eating meat uh, through initiation. They would typically refrain from social contact. They'd refrain from consuming alcohol. They'd consume from refraining, you know, obtaining, you know, utilizing, obtaining, utilizing any kind of drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, there would be hallucinogenic substances administered by the priest or the priestess in the final stage of initiation. But today, it's like all those sacred concepts have been turned around into just like mushroom trips and DMT smoking and people that want to do ayahuasca. Not that those things are necessarily bad, but people would do those things in context with 
a very restricted lifestyle and a very restricted form of ritual. They didn't just do it because they wanted to get high and that somehow made them enlightened. And that just kind of, that just kind of bothers me today. And I think that's been, that's another perversion of the mysteries or a perversion of the secret teachings. It's, it's almost like a perversion of the mind, especially in excess. I don't know. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I would completely agree. See, this is, um, not a large part, but, a a piece of the book that touches on it a little bit. Um, I actually, before I even started like developing the initial manuscript, uh, I used to be writing for and kind of helped develop, uh, for some years, uh, the last American vagabond, uh, which I'm sure some people will be familiar with. It's still very active. Um, they do good stuff over there, but I left to kind of uh, go in this more, you know, philosophical direction. And, uh, I met a lot of different people, uh, doing the journalism there. And one of those people being, uh, good old Jan Irvin. Um, I'm sure you've probably come across that name before. Uh, and for those, uh, listeners who haven't, uh, interesting character who, uh, very much in opposition with, uh, many of the things that would be in the book. I doubt he's read it, nor have I sent it to him or anything, but I, you know, I do have good things to say about the guy. I had, uh, really good dealings with him, uh, the, the few conversations I had with him and I managed to interview him once. And while of course, um, inevitably I do think that he throws the baby out with the bathwater. And, uh, when he talks about for those unfamiliar, how the mysteries are kind of just this, you know, control matrix and how, um, hallucinogenics were just part of the propaganda process. And inevitably, I'm sure that there was something involved with, I mean, whenever you find institutions uh, anywhere throughout history, in any religion, anywhere in the world, you're going to find corruption. So I'm sure that there, you know, I mean, yeah, and it's inevitable. So, um, but, uh, you know, one of the takeaways that I, I really liked from talking with Jan is, you know, he emphasized the idea that even um, the so essentially, um, if you're this is the way I see it. Um, the the history shows that if uh, they were not uh, if when psychedelics were not being utilized in very very sacred you know um, priestly if you will um, instances, it was used as a last resort to kind of heal the sick. Um, People who were um, really, it, it wasn't like, you know, free-spirited hippies going out to like find enlightenment, you know, by taking a, a bag of mushrooms, man. It was like people, <laughs> it was more of like the idea of the heroin junkie taking some iboga to, to get a new lease on life. And it was not something that was like uh, super exciting or, you know, it, it was not like recreational in the sense we perceive it. It was serious, hard work. It was getting down in the trenches to salvage what you, what you could of your life, you know? And, and that's, what's forgotten with psychedelics today is it's a real, it's like, it's like trench warfare mysticism, man. It's like you, you, where is grassroots DIY taking, uh, taking the reins of your existence back. That's what it can be used for if you use it properly and you use it sparingly. Yeah. And you don't, Um, you don't also need to have, uh, those types of things and not that they can't be helpful or beneficial, but in my experience, and and we need to take a break here, Anthony, but in my experience, what I've felt is I, I I've never 
done any kind of hard drug. I think maybe I took a few pills when I was a kid for some kind of what they considered to be a mental condition, i.e. I was thinking and asking too many questions, but <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, right. I didn't really, I've never taken any hard drug. I've never smoked weed. I've never done anything. Um, Props. I, I barely Respect. drank alcohol. Thank you. Barely <laughs> drank alcohol. And I, I, so I don't really know what getting high feels like per se, but I, I get a high off of learning. Like I learned one time reading that Mark Booth book I mentioned about the origin of Cinderella and how it relates typically to the story of Isis and Osiris in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just, I got so incredibly high off of learning that. And I think that, you know, everybody's obviously different. Not everybody gets high off of learning. But what I think what you've mentioned and, and what I'm getting at is there are many ways to, to advance and to grow the self, uh, whatever it is that we consider to be who we really are. It doesn't, you know, require drugs and it doesn't require people to sign up to courses online. Uh, it requires right. will and a mind and determination. It requires a body and a belief in some other power. And, and that is encompassed in the four uh, elements and in the wand, the sword, the pinnacle and the cup that are used in magical rituals, which are their true uh, meaning, intention right. of the will of the wand. And then, of course, the sword is the mind, the pinnacle is the body, and the chalice brings down those intuitions. I want to get more into all this with Anthony Tyler, give him more time to talk about the book, which you can find on Amazon. And then after that, we will have a few minutes to give him uh, an open floor tonight here on The Secret Teachings. The book, Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism. I'm I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM. And I implore you to stay with us. There's more after this with Anthony. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, somewhere between the normal and paranormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare. Right here on The Fringe FM. Do you like The Secret Teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books. Available in PDF and softcover with free shipping in the United States. For a practical, balanced, and unique look at the food industry, vaccinations, the theories of disease, and geoengineering, grab a copy of Food Philosophy. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana, an encyclopedia of occult knowledge spanning from mythology and science to symbols and sigils, from ritual magic to voodoo, and from comparative religion and psychic abilities to paranormal activity. All three books can be purchased on the website at thesecretteachings.info, where you can read reviews from other authors and radio hosts around the world. 
just visit thesecretteachings.info. Hey, Fringe listeners, Dave Cruz here, reminding you that Beyond the Strange airs live Monday evenings at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on The Fringe FM. BTS is your one-stop shop for the paranormal, the bizarre, and most of all, the strange. Join me and co-host Black Sky Paranormals, Russ Bailey, as we discuss topics such as aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, and much more. Also, we talk with profound guests, authors, researchers from all over the world, and we take your calls live on the air. Go to beyondthestrange.com and learn more about the show, guests, times, free registration for our newsletter, merch, and much more. Again, that's Beyond the Strange, Monday evenings, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. And as always, stay strange. The truth is out there, and so are we. KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Hey there, it's Ryan Gable, host of The Secret Teachings, right here on The Fringe FM, Monday through Friday. As we move from the month of Janus into the month of Imbolc, traditionally a time of ritual cleansing, The Secret Teachings is offering a special deal to help you clear the cobwebs out of your mind. With a one-year subscription to the show, access to all of the montages, all of my digital books, and a free copy of one of my books in physical form with free shipping in the United States and autographed if you'd like. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe today by donating $40 through PayPal. Your support keeps us on air and helps to support the Fringe FM as a network. It also hopefully helps you to expand your consciousness and perceptions of the world through The Secret Teachings. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe today by donating $40 through PayPal. That's thesecretteachings.info and rdgable at yahoo.com. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Yo, hi there. It's Gigi from Shift Happens. Just stopping by to tell you to stop it. Stop that. Stop that thing that you're doing. And redirect all of your attention right directly back here to the Fringe FM. You're welcome. This is Jess Rogie, host of the Rogie Report, and you're listening to the Fringe FM, KTLK Digital Broadcasting. You're listening to The Fringe FM, where the wheel of the year turns from Yule to Letha, Ostara to Maybon. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Join me on a journey where getting lost is the only true destination. Where happiness is an illusion. Where the past, present, and future all coexist on the same timeline.
I'm Ryan Gable, your host, and you're tuned in to The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. If you'd like to contact the show, rdgable at yahoo.com, or you can find us on social media, our only social media page, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings. You can find our show archive at www.thesecretteachings.info. I've just redone it with a main archive section with all the shows since we began the Fringe FM on Captivate, which is a much simpler platform to use. You can access the main archive on the website by subscribing to the broadcast. You'll also get access to the montages, digital copies of all of my books, and physical copies of one of the books, your choice, Occult Arcana, Food Philosophy, or The Technological Elixir. You can use that subscription deal to extend your subscription or to gift it to somebody else, and we ship around the world as well. It just costs a little more more money for that. We can drop ship the books to you. Whatever it is, uh, we can work out a deal. I try to keep things very, very uh, personable here on the show, and that's why I give out my personal email. I just can't always respond back to all the email inquiries. Uh, Sometimes uh, I don't see anything on Facebook. Uh, I just got blocked again on Facebook for a day or something because of something I posted in 2016 and it 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 did something to my account where I could I couldn't access messages or anything like that so just please be patient and uh, I will be in contact with you soon or just you know send the email again uh, a lot of people that contact us and it takes a while to get to everything when I do uh, everything myself here on the show it's not a complaint it's just uh just a matter of fact tonight another matter of fact is that we have Anthony Tyler with us. He is the author of Empirical Investigations of Mysticism, a dive manual. And we've talked about a lot tonight so far. I want to give Anthony most of the floor here in this and the next and final segment after this. Uh, But Anthony, I was looking through the book on break, and one of the things that I enjoyed that you wrote is uh, in the section Alchemy and Existential Psychology, something that uh, I realized a couple of years ago is that you know the power of symbols and the power of archetypes. Uh, and you wrote, archetypical symbols are not literal aspects of the brain or mind. They are diagnostic tactics to help determine the dynamic neuro, and I hope I pronounced this right, phenomenology of the human. They are reference points with which humans can chart their course and track their progression. Um, I'm not sure how many interviews you've done or how many copies of your book you've sold, uh, but that is a very well put statement. And if the entire book is written that well, uh, it is, uh, a, I think, an incredible book that people should definitely get a copy of. Again, Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism. Anthony Tyler, welcome back. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I've actually had at least one other host. I believe it was, um, I could be wrong, but I believe it was M- Miguel over at Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio who uh, who also liked that one. So I appreciate it. Um, I have, uh, for whatever it's worth, I've gotten some uh, some pretty good reviews. So I think, uh, you know, I'd cert- I'd, it would be foolish of me to think that I had all the answers. Uh, but again, this is just given the, the, the existentialism of it all. I really wanted to, um, and I've always been, this kind of material has always been so close to my heart anyway. It's always been a passion of mine. Um, I thought that 
You know, it's, you don't have to have all the answers. People get caught up, um, trying to figure out the, you know, again, people are asking the wrong questions sometimes. So people get caught up in the mix. Um, and that's not to say I haven't done my due diligence. There's a really huge bibliography and everything is sourced in there. So I just say that, you know, to be genuinely humble because that's how I feel. But for the record, I definitely, um, I've, it took a, there was a lot of research that went into it. So it's, it was, it's no, um, there's a lot of food for thought in there that I am, I am proud to supply. How how long, how long did it take you to put that information together? Oh man. Well, so I've always been writing. I, you know, I, I wrote on the last American Vagabond for some years and, uh, and I cut my teeth there a bit, but I also have, uh, like an old, you might be able to still find it, uh, Within this mortal coil is uh, an old paperback, like 70 pager that I wrote in high school. And so anyway, um, I always knew I would write this book at some point, but I I didn't like pull the trigger. It took like three years from beginning of writing manuscript to the end of this uh, or to uh, to publish date rather. But if you count all of it, I mean, just some of it was like initial pieces that I got writing from the vagabond. You know, that I eventually I really liked and I kept with me. Um, so all of that, all in total, it's like it was like a seven year process. It was definitely no small feat. I know how um, that I know how that is putting stuff together. I mean, it took me. I wrote my book in a pretty short period of time, but I also had um, you know years and years of research from doing radio that right. kind of helped me do it. And it's it's a very tall task. I, earlier, you mentioned the tree of life or the Kabbalah earlier, and I wanted to talk about that. You have a section, trees of life and death, dreams of the shoreline. Tell me about the tree of life. What is the significance of that? Because when you get into the subject of magic or the subject of mysticism, there's always that tree there, and there's always the significance of it as an archetype of a symbol uh, and as a as a symbol of mysticism in general. It's, it's probably one of the more easier things to understand, but it's very concealed. And I find that a lot of people, including myself, uh, were very confused and overwhelmed by the, by the imagery of it. Uh, but once it was explained to me, it made a lot more sense. W- what do you know about the tree of life and death? Yeah, um, you know, I get that a lot. Um, people talk about, and yes, it's very, like, it's so dense and multifaceted. It's almost endless. Um, it's like the tree of life as a diagram is just a starting point that expands infinitely outward. So it's a lot to take in. Um, uh, but I don't know. I think I just had the right, I or was lucky enough to uh, come across the right presentations of it. Um, but, you know, because it's really, it's it's just kind of um, uh like a filing cabinet to put it rudimentarily of, um, of all these symbols. It's like a, it's a way, um, it's the spine of all of it in many, in, in, in many ideas, like, you, you know, because I especially like the, the Kabbalistic tree of life because of its, I don't know, it's, it's just very well put together. And obviously it's, uh, the Western cultural ramifications run very deep. So you don't have to look very far around here to find it um, and its influences, but you can find the tree of life. Uh, I'm not an expert on the, the multiplicity of the different trees of life, but um, I do like in terms of the vast depth of them all. But 
I even go into it in the book a little bit, all the different kinds of trees of life that serve the exact same archetypal purposes all throughout, you know, comparative religious history. Um, so that there's clearly something to be said for that. And it also uh, goes so seamlessly hand in hand with uh, with the ideas of chaos theory, you know, as above, so below being um very much uh, this kind of fractal uh, allegory. And so my fascination with chaos theory, I, I guess, might have helped frame that a bit as well because, um, you know, because then you, you start to look into, like you really try to get to the meat of it uh, if you go far enough of like what really is God then. Um, and... You know, because as above, so below, there's this idea, this heuristic idea that was developed over time that if within the human psyche, there is this this uh, conduit to infinite potential and like a, a, the cosmos itself, then must be, you know, so if man is a little cosmos, then um, um, the cosmos must be a big man. You know, and it, it makes a lot of it's very, very eloquent uh, if you keep it allegorical and don't take it too literally because um, there are some empirical implications there. And that's how you get into chaos theory and thermodynamics, because it's a it's um, getting a little too deep into uh, <laughs> like the, the technicalities of physics to sort of talk about thermodynamics and fractals and and how it all uh relates but like in terms of the actual empiricism of it uh but that um there is um so anyway the 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 idea of the um um the tree of life and the ten sephiroth uh the the different spheres on the tree um you know being the anatomy of god so to speak um this kind of brings us to this idea of like omnipotence versus metepotence. Uh, omni omnipotence being that which has power over the law, and that's that's like Yahweh. That's the classical Abrahamic idea of God. Um, and then metepotence being same thing, um, except it is the law. You know, you 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 need no power over it because you are it, and. Um, I think that that is perhaps the most crucial initial takeaway um, with understanding the tree of life is that um, it's very uh, Gnostic almost in and of itself where it's kind of – and I do believe that this is very much an impression that Dante was trying to get across um, with his descriptions of going into heaven um, in the Divine Comedy, etc., and uh, and the Empyrean, uh, you know, this idea of like what God embodies and what is around what what surrounds God, um, and so I think um, while you know, and, and this goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, where these are forces of nature that um, we may be able to see some sort of uh, cause and effect, but we don't understand the full implications in between, and so therefore we we humanize them. Uh, in order to understand them through analogical thought and allegory, because that's the only way we really can understand these things. Uh, but it's important to remember that that's a tool. You know, that metaphor is a tool. Just remember that that is the tool that you're using. Don't lose scope of 
what type of tool you're using. And remember that um, if, you know, if you want my interpretation of it, I'm sure this will this will sting to some people like the really orthodox ones. But there's no specific quint- the, the, there's no God out there. There is the anatomy of God. And that's that is um, a crucial um, point for me is because that doesn't that doesn't I, I certainly don't define myself as an atheist. Um, and I think that there is a lot of what you could call divinity out there. But I think um, if we look at the empiricism of it and the psychology of it, um, it is not really up for debate that, you know, God's not the big man in the sky. Um, so that's the tree of life um, and like some of the bare bones of it. And it also, I also go into the tree of death a little bit, which yeah, tell is, us, tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, that's really fascinating because it's something that's always been around in a way um, with the tree of life. It was just kind of like, it's almost like what you said with, you know, with junk DNA. It was almost like the junk DNA of the tree of life that the Kabbalists had. They talked about the shells and like these obfuscations of the Sephiroth, but they never went into a great detail. And eventually it was developed more and more. And um, uh, n- notably, Aleister Crowley, among other people, kind of took the ball and ran with it, uh, developing the symbolism a bit more. And, you know, just for the record, as an aside, um, I, you know, Crowley was a ridiculous, strange trust fund brat, but, uh, and I don't really, uh, he was, he's definitely not an inspiration of mine, but that being said, I also don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. He was, he was very smart and I, I appreciate, uh, a lot of the work that he did. So with the, the Clyphoth, the, uh, the tree of death, um, it, it represents the, uh, again, the obfuscation or the distance between, uh, a person and the tree of life, the tree of life, I guess, in a quick way being like the, the neoplatonic ideals, uh, and, and manifestations of existence. So these are like the, the, the total antithesis of those and, uh, the Clyphoth are the antithesis of the, the Sephiroth. And, um, this very much outlined, you know, if you want, because the, all the old Hebrew and stuff, it's all very fascinating, but it's, it's kind of hard to digest, especially for someone trying to wrap their heads around this initially. And I think that that is also what confuses people, but something else that I go into, into the book, uh, and take, uh, I go into great detail elaborating is how seamless, uh, Dante's divine comedy and the nine, uh, circles of heaven and hell and et cetera, how it's all very, um, it's actually pretty on the nose. Like it's very much, um, a rendition of these, uh, these capitalistic allegories. Um, and I think that that, uh, therefore makes it a lot easier, uh, for, uh, to, for people to digest, I think. And, um, a big takeaway being that these are not so much the trees of life and death, um, are not so much, they're not like places you go when you die. Um, right, right. They're they're concepts, they're symbols, they're kind of like the wand or the sword in a magical operation, right? It's meant to provoke the subconscious and override those conscious, uh, logical, uh, rational, materialistic views, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in the the really metaphysical, uh, just like speculation of it all, I know that 
the there's an old idea, a mystical idea tossed around that the Sephiroth, um, you know, like uh, being w- with with the planetary names and whatnot, uh, being the initial gateways from this existence into the multiverse uh, that the soul travels once they die. So that's um, I don't necessarily uh, subscribe to that idea, but it is fun to think about. You know, um, you know, little little things like this just make it. it we talked about different forms of drugs and hallucinogenics in the last segment uh, and how they've been abused and, and or used appropriately for mystical purposes. And here's one of the things that kind of just gets me high. I did not know this, but in your book you say that the word Kabbalah, spelled with a K, K-A-B-B-A-L-A-H, that's used in reference to ancient Judaism, while the Kabbalah spelled with a Q, Q-A-B-B-A-L-A-H, is considered the Renaissance and post-Renaissance incorporation of those ancient Judaic principles into the full body of esoteric knowledge. Just a very small little piece of information, but now that's in my arsenal. I didn't know that. I find that, yeah. very, I find that very interesting. Little bits of data. Absolutely. I do. I totally feel it. I get the same kind of rush from learning something new. I love it. Um, and that's a great point to make. Um, is a lot of this book is um, somewhat in opposition to New Age. Um, not entirely because... There's a lot of overlap, and the, I guess the, the point being there is that when people, the classic snake oil salesman, some people just like to, they, they use confirmation bias with these spiritual ideas in the same way that uh, someone will go too far with conspiracy theories, and they don't really, uh, they're not, they, they don't have a whole lot to back it up with, and um. And then it, it just kind of, you know, just kind of rolls out of control from there. Um, and that's why, you know, why I like Jung so much and people like Manly P. Hall, because they take these things from such a practical approach. Um, but um, so with the um, with the, the trees of life and death overall, um, you know, it's, um, you know, so some people like again um they'll use actually i think this is a good spot to um to go from there it's like what what is the purpose of these things practically speaking uh, you know we talked about like the ontology and philosophy a little bit um and uh because the the kabbalists with the k they had their whole ideas of it and then people when when uh it, during the renaissance um uh, among other things you know the alchemists got a hold of the the, the tree of life and they expanded it further. And point being, I brought up with new age is, um, the Kabbalah with a Q, this, this idea of like the tree of life being incorporated into comparative religion has, um, made, it's done some disservices. Um, and there's been some oversimplifications and things, uh, and people, again, the confirmation bias in these things and start drawing conclusions that are not necessarily well studied and uh, to put it politely and um but again let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater uh because i'm not while i appreciate tradition i don't i have a don't have much patience for dogma and i think that it's important to find a way to you know someone put it to me like this when, when it comes to um comparative religion this can be a tricky thing comparing different religions, um, obviously. 
and uh, and and using them together uh, could be even trickier, um, or like in combination. And uh, and actually, legitimately, uh, a a thirty second degree Freemason that I uh, I, I used to know uh, put it to me like this. He said. You know, it's fun and it, it's worthwhile to look into comparative religion, but you should always, first and foremost, familiarize yourself with what is around you. You know, what did you grow up in? And what, uh, and if you grew up in an atheist household, then what's around you here in the West? For me, and from my vantage point, it would have been Christianity. So understand the implications of that, get your bearing with that, but understand that there's more. And because it's like learning a tool of the trade, you have to like a, a tradesman starts out with something they learn, uh, whatever, you know, they learn bricklaying and then they learn how to build the wall and then they learn how to make the house and then they learn the other trades too. And then you can build the wooden deck as well, you know? And so you, you update your arsenal and you start with one thing and you branch out from there because you have to have some sort of gauge, um, with which to measure these things. So um, comparative religion is very important, and I think that dogma is something that uh, is, squanders a lot of um, I don't know, ingenuity, uh, among other things. But tradition is very important, and I will always champion tradition. I think that it's good to start out from a place of tradition and expand and update from there. That's a very good point. I agree with you. And I was... Uh I was thinking of a word that I think describes you and how you're talking about your book and your work and your views. And it's a word that I use uh, with this show. It's something that I try to do myself as much as is humanly possible. And that is objectivity. And uh, I feel that's very important and it's very rare today. I don't know if you consider yourself objective, but uh, if you do uh, you try to incorporate that type of viewpoint into your work, um, I think that's a that's a huge plus on what you've uh, written in the book, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism. Objectivity is very difficult to find because we're always running around looking for some definition so that we can get the praise for something that we haven't done by association or so that we can criticize some other people. Just kind of, it puts things into a category or a box that makes life mm -hmm. easier to understand initially, but it makes it more complicated because... We really don't understand it. It's it's like a junk food way of uh, moving through life. So I don't know. I'm just saying I interpret the way that you are speaking kind of as uh, objectivity. we got to take a break, but if you have any uh, comment, we've got about 30 seconds before the uh, break. Um, I guess real quick, I would just say I appreciate it. And, yeah, that's definitely a focus in the book is the dichotomy of the subjective and objective and you know, what really is real because subjective is a lot realer than uh, we would like to believe sometimes, but the subjective is useless without the objective. You have to have something to gauge it with. Where can listeners get a copy of the book? Uh, you can head to my website, divemind.net, all one word, um, and, or you could go to amazon.com and get it right there. All right. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Anthony Tyler, our guest this evening, right here on the broadcast on the Fringe FM, the book. You can grab a copy of it on the website divinemind.net and on Amazon. Stay with us. There's more with Anthony after this. We'll give him the floor in the next and final segment right here on The Secret Teachings. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence, but... 
I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Brian Gable, five nights a week on The Fringe FM, and join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm a last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's thesecretteachings.info and The Fringe FM. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana, complete with hundreds of beautiful images. Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir. Black goo, transhumanism, and invoking AI. Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles, and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, then check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.com thesecretteachings.info That's where you can read reviews, see pictures and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings and Fringe FM but most importantly it supports you. Hey there, it's Ryan Gable, host of The Secret Teachings right here on The Fringe FM Monday through Friday. As we move from the month of Janus into the month of Imbolc traditionally a time of ritual cleansing. The Secret Teachings is offering a special deal to help you clear the cobwebs out of your mind. With a one-year subscription to the show, access to all of the montages, all of my digital books, and a free copy of one of my books in physical form with free shipping in the United States and autographed if you'd like. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe today by donating $40 through PayPal. Your support keeps us on air and helps to support the Fringe FM as a network. It also hopefully helps you to expand your consciousness and perceptions of the world through The Secret Teachings. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe today by donating $40 through PayPal. That's thesecretteachings.info and rdgable at yahoo.com. They all say the same thing. They're all like, you know, over the last four years, everything good that happened was because of us. And we would have done more good stuff if it wasn't for those guys. And then they, the Democrats go, oh, we did all the good stuff. <laughs> it's like you're all working for the same guy. You're listening to The Fringe FM, where the wheel of the year turns from Yule to Letha, Ostara to Maybon. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting. The Fringe FM. Want more of The Fringe? Check out thefringe.fm for more information on your favorite shows. Also, don't forget to check out The Fringe mobile app or the other ways you can tune in through the Paranormal Radio app and talk stream live. Where the normal and paranormal collide, it's The Fringe FM. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings.
You are tuned in to the Secret Teachings radio broadcast right here on the Fringe FM, where you can find us five nights a week, Monday through Friday, same time each night. We often have a replay during the week at some point, a best of show. That's usually because I have my son who comes over, and it's kind of hard to do a show with uh, a toddler. But otherwise, five nights a week, and the archive is on the website at thesecretteachings.info. That's thesecretteachings.info. If you'd like to contact us, the email is rdgable at yahoo.com. That's r-d-g-a-b-l-e at yahoo.com. Tonight, Anthony Tyler is with us. His website, divi, uh, excuse me, not divine, divemind.net. It's divemind.net. You can find his book there and or you can find it on Amazon as well. It is a dive manual, empirical investigations of mysticism. That's dive manual, empirical investigations of mysticism. Anthony, in the amount of time we have left in this final segment, I'd like to give you the floor. And uh, I do that because I feel as an author myself, having been interviewed on radio shows, if you have the time available, uh, it would be nice to be able just to kind of speak without being asked a question, kind of be able to say whatever you want and really talk about uh, your work. So where would you like to take us in this last segment uh, pertaining to the book or anything that might be related to the book? Hmm. Oh, man, I appreciate the floor here. And um, briefly, I'll also say, uh, before I forget that also on, uh, the website you can find, uh, for any listeners, you can find any other interviews I've done as well. Um, I've been meaning to update. Um, I will eventually at some point, uh, start putting out a show or doing some more consistent articles or something. Um, but right now I'm focusing on, you know, interviews like these and, uh, working on, my next manuscript, among other things. But uh, in terms of material, you know, at the very least, we've at least mentioned all of the subject matter except for uh, two things here, actually, now that I think about it. Um, first one being, and we can get into both of them, uh, first one being the idea of ceremony and ritual and the idea of magic itself in general. And also... Uh, unexplainable phenomena in the larger sense of not just mysticism, but, you know, I mentioned John Keel earlier in the episode and also what a huge influence of mine. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find someone interested in this stuff that doesn't have at least one good thing to say about John Keel. Um, because growing up in Alaska, I'm here out in California now enjoying the sun, but growing up in Alaska, uh, I saw some very strange things out in the sky and I don't necessarily buy into the regular, the, the, the average narrative of, uh, uh, what a, a, a ufologist or a UFO enthusiast would buy into, but I know that there's some wild stuff out there and we can get into that as well. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about, uh, some ceremony next. Um, because you know, I've, talk to a lot of people who have seen some weird stuff out in the sky in Alaska. And I grew up outside of Anchorage, like 15 minutes down the highway. Um, and there, oh, there seems to be so much UFO activity surrounding the Chugach mountain range. So any UFO enthusiasts out there, you can look into that. You're not going to find much information because no one's talked about it, but whatever it's worth from someone who's seen it happen many times and talked to people who have seen it 
happen as well. Uh, there's always you know weird stuff in the sky, and it more often than not, at least in that area, it always disappears behind the Chugach mountain range. And f- uh, for the longest time, I thought that it, and I mean, it, you know, easiest answer, certainly it could be government technology, uh, some black budget stuff. And for the longest time, I thought that that would probably it be it, and it still could be, but. I had to um, I had to be honest with myself a little bit and um, just I don't know play devil's advocate because I think that because here's the thing is I don't buy that these things are nuts and bolts either the government has black budget tech and I mean they do um, or um, these these things if they're not related to the government at all. I don't think that they come from other planets. Obviously, things live on other planets. Uh, this is a very big multiverse, but I have serious doubts as to um, how effectively and like uh, any sort of biological matter can travel through space. And if I were to to guess, I would think that this the whole idea this whole star wars star trek idea of space travel i think it gets much more spiritual before it gets scientific um which in the listener can take that um how you will but um you know with uh with the ufos and things um i think that you know the whole like the chariot of the gods idea and ancient aliens i think that there is a little bit of like i think that on the face of it there's plenty of merit to that but again i don't think that these things are flesh and blood and this goes much more to the john keel jacques valet perspective of um not only do these things seem to be uh their manifestations are very wishy-washy you know uh, but they um they also have a, a trickster essence to them that seems to be the wishy-washy nature. They seem to like playing with us and making us question ourselves um, and giving us bad intel and these things. Um, it's it's almost very hermetic, um, you know, Hermes being the trickster god. And Jacques Vallée, I couldn't speak to this personally, but I have um, read Jacques Vallée himself attest to um, hermeticists throughout history uh, seeing ufos in the sky so and then you know he talks about the fey and all these different things and how you know uh in ancient times people were seeing chariots and hundreds of years ago a lot of people were seeing wooden boats in the sky and you know today we see the saucers and it all it, it it's this strange manifestation it seems um that follows a path of least resistance uh and uh, jung attested to this as well uh not enough people know that Jung put out like a hundred page book about this whole projection process and UFOs and the potential metaphysics, although, you know, he kept it grounded in his, uh, scholarly way. But, uh, those were, that was a, a seminal work that inspired Kiel and Valet, um, notably. And, um, Jacques Vallée put it as this idea, uh, this evolutionary kind of idea that perhaps we are, with our Jungian projection process, this heuristic trial and error method through evolutionary pressures that we've talked about throughout this whole uh, conversation, that this somehow completes a circuit, uh, a metaphorical circuit that allows 
um, our projections thus then uh, they become puppeteered by things that we scarcely can begin to understand. And I think that there's weight to that. I really do. Um, and that's pretty much, I try to keep my work very grounded and practical. Uh, but that's where the trail of breadcrumbs begins. And then the empiricism and the practicality inevitably always takes us, as it should, to the outer limits of our understanding. And, you know, that's how we, that's how we develop our, our understandings further. And it seems to be that there is um, some sort of autonomous quality out there. I mean, even Jung himself considered the archetypes to be autonomous, meaning that they were self-contained and self-operated. Uh, but that's, a, that's different than sentience. Uh, so these things certainly, whether it be UFOs, and again, I put um, a 14 phenomena in general under this umbrella. At this point... I, uh, I'm definitely of the opinion, I think the evidence shows that these things like uh, Bigfoot, uh, you know, wh wh whatever, you know, pick your poison, Mothman, uh, these things are projections uh, that can be piggybacked and they can become even transphysical in the same way that I think religious wounds can manifest um, in people during trance states and whether they be priests or possessed, um, uh, not just Christian Christianity, but in comparative religion in general, um, I think that uh, there are a variety of examples of where things can become transphysical, uh, to use that phrase. And um, you know, I think that it's it uh, it should be very telling at this point to talk about fourteen phenomena more that that we can't find a bigfoot body, uh, just to use that as as an example. Um, but again, on the other side of that token, I think it is callous, um, and you know it's just like rude and also not scholarly to um, consider anyone that has a passing fascination with bigfoot, let alone a bigfoot story or uh, experience, just consider them crazy or looking for some sort of personal gain. Um, and again, this just speaks to the existentialism of it all. And I think that um, that people can drum up certain states of consciousness that really push the barriers of what we even understand to be subjective and objective. Um and, you know, the idea the of subjective and objective, very interesting symbolically because here in the West, there's so much of a heavy association with um, uh, evil and like Lucifer, Satan uh, being, in, again, that not necessarily a proper equation, Lucifer and Satan, but that's a different story. Um, but the sub subjectivity being... Uh, like against the collective and therefore being evil and like against the, uh, you think about it from evolutionary perspective, it kind of makes sense. You know, you got to band together, especially at the the slow evolutionary crawl of human um, civilization. Um, and, 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 and so God is associated with this objectivity and goodness and, and truth. And um, it's weird to say the least that we um, should, uh, so heavily associate subjectivity with falsehood and evil. Um, and it, uh, I think it just, it, it kind of speaks to the idea that we were, again, we're talking about before where 
when people humanize these very powerful um, primordial manifestations of existence, which they're actual laws of physics that we barely understand yet, when they humanize them they and deify them, there is use in that. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I, there, there is use in that, but you should remember that there is a, that you're engaged in a process and that, um, it's kind of like that Buddhist notion that as soon as you acquiesce something w- in a knowledge based way, as soon as you put a label on it, you automatically lose the outer trimmings of the knowledge surrounding it. Right. Um, right. right. So, so, um, listeners could take that for what they will, but I think that very much, uh, with unexplainable phenomena for TM phenomena in general, I think that, uh, I dare say that the best, the fundamental starting point when investigating these things, yes, you would certainly do the look for the footprints and do all these things. Cause I, I do think that there is a physical aspect to these things in some way, but I would rec, I, I think, you know, cause, uh, people like Keel put this into practice in many ways. Um, you analyze it, the experience like a dream, you know, you look for the symbolism behind it. You look for, um, what type of conditions that the human was in, you know, mental conditions, physical conditions that might have created fodder, some sort of cause and effect relationship here. Uh, in the same way that you can look at the pressures in your life, having manifested certain aspects of dreams and, um, and yeah, I think that, uh, you know, because even Keel himself—that's the whole idea with the book, the the title, the Mothman Prophecies—was that was basically his best guess to it all. Is he thought that the Mothman was inevitably some sort of collective archetypal but autonomous projection of the people and some sort of um, some sort of uh, warning. And 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 lo and behold, the science shows that that is exactly, for example, what sleep paralysis is. Is it's this um, this um, stress-induced projection process happening. It's essentially when your body is sending off alarm signals because that's part of what the projection process is. It allows us to um, relate to things and integrate with things and understand them, but it also helps us um, understand it allows us to... um, which is a double-edged sword. It helps us manifest our fears and our, and our shadows and things. But by doing that, you can learn to, again, in the Buddhist sense, um, once you like the way to properly uproot, uh, evil or, you know, your undoing is to understand and perceive evil and to, to uproot it with, uh, because once you understand something fundamentally, it begins to lose its power. Yeah, so. that's that's how I've looked at uh, people use these words like negative or positive, and it's very common for people to call the subject matter that I talk about here on the show negative. <laughs> um, and I'll say, I don't think it's negative to be informed that my house is burning down or my car right. has a flat tire. I think it's negative to dismiss that that's happening, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's important for people to remember that again, these are physics of the mind, um, positive and negative should be considered more like the, the, the proton and electron more so than good and evil. Good and evil do have, uh, there are, they are a piece of this, 
uh, symbolic puzzle here, but they're further down on the ladder of comparisons when if you're considering positive and negative to be at the at the top of this ladder. And we're more so looking at the psychodynamics uh, of the mind being that um, the the interplay uh, between the light and dark is something that can manifest the, the interplay between the two manifests good and evil. And it's just the type of interplay, but the, it's not that positive is good and negative is evil. Um, that is laughably reductionist. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah and it, it's disappointing to find that so many people consider it that way. Um, so again, it's like when you follow when you follow the trail of breadcrumbs, you find that it doesn't add up and you find that uh, subjectivity is evil and uh, all these different things. And, um, and that um, uh, being completely beholden and subservient to a master is absolutely good across the board. Don't ever question the master. And um, yeah, I, and, 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 and then you have some people overcorrecting and going straight to I don't want any masters ever. I don't want any tutelage or any discipline at all. And it's just all a complete cluster. It, yeah. It's yeah, like, it, it's like a, a, a seesaw of the mind. It's just it one totally extreme to is. the other. Yes. Well, you know what? It, it's almost like etymologically speaking, if you take the word good and you just remove an O, you get God. And if you take the <laughs> word uh, evil, you add a D, you get devil. I mean, those are where the concepts, at least in English, can be derived from in a symbolic way. I always thought that was interesting. Absolutely. Uh, Anthony Absolutely. Tyler is our guest this evening. Anthony, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. The book is Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism. We've got, uh, I think we've got like four minutes left here, roughly. So if you want to let the listeners know where they can get the book again, uh, divemind.net and Amazon, but you you should just go ahead and repeat that again. Tell them where they can get the book, and if you have any other uh, words as well that you'd like to share in the last few minutes. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you head down to divemind.net, and you can find um, all the interviews I've done, and you could find a link to the book, or you could just go to Amazon, or you can see me on Twitter. Um, uh, you know, I'm always happy to have some sort of discussions i you know i love talking about this stuff and that uh twitter handle is all lowercase dive mind 667 or you can find me on facebook if you want just anthony tyler um you know i have listed that i was the author of dive manual i'm here in california so not too hard to find uh, in terms of facebook and um yeah i would there will be more content coming out i'm working on a manuscript right now hunt manual it's going to have more there is demonology in dive manual but it's more there's a little bit of of uh the dark night of the soul as it progresses into idealism and love and uh the, the sacred alchemical marriage and these things uh, and hunt manual is going to be very much some trench spiritual warfare it's going to be going out and hunting some demons basically uh among other things so uh, I would like people to stay on the lookout for that if they have found any interest in what I've had to say, because that will be sooner rather than later. I said seven years for the last one, but that was a learning process with life. This will be much faster. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, you know, and we pretty much covered everything that I talked about uh, in the book, um, you know, at least mentioned it. And I will also say that that I brought it before. We didn't get a chance to get into really. Um there is some talk about hypnosis and trance states and uh, 
kind of the evolutionary underpinnings of things like prayer and ceremony and ritual and how in uh, physical engagement, like in a very much yogic sense or to talk psychology, like Wilhelm Reich and his whole idea of physical organ energy um, relating to the mind in ways where uh, absolutely the, the physical body can create further gateways uh priming for the mind um and so yeah i just i just say anybody you got to go you got to take the devil by the horns you got to like spirituality esotericism mysticism it's diy do it yourself do not wait for the intermediary um and uh, don't trust uh priests or snake oil salesmen appreciate them if they're good people but you can do it yourself you know, and, and, and respect tradition and be skeptical of dogma. But it's important to remember that tradition is, is, is a good thing. You know, we don't want to um, we don't want to throw out what our uh, predecessors have handed yeah, us a, either. There's a lot of power and energy in those things that we keep as tradition. Anthony, Tyler, thank you again so much for coming on the show. If people want to start with that process, they can grab a copy of the Dive Manual again at divemind.net and on Amazon also grab a copy of my book occult arcana anthony thank you for coming on the show we'll have to have you on again soon to talk either more about the dive manual or about your new manuscript yeah thank you so much for having me on um uh, yeah take care everybody appreciate it all right anthony tyler there he is there he goes thank you so much for tuning into the secret teachings tonight again i'm ryan gable if you'd like to catch the show five nights a week you can find us right here on the fringe every single night monday through friday catch replays of the show as well on the fringe you can access the archive though at the secret teachings.info right now our february sale is 40 dollars for a one-year subscription to the show archive you can use that to renew your subscription you also get access to the montages my books in digital form and a physical copy of one of my books free shipping in the united states it's either occult arcana or the food philosophy book or the new edition of the Technological Elixir. I've put literally hundreds of hours into this re-edit slash rewrite, and I've added a lot of material to it. It supports the network, it supports the secret teachings, it supports you, and hopefully it helps you as an individual, as I've received so many emails over the years, to uh, understand a lot of the things that Anthony was talking about tonight. So again, we thank Anthony for joining us on the show. I thank you for listening. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you on the next broadcast. Stay up to date on the new episodes of The Secret Teachings, Monday through Friday, as they are posted. The promotions are on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings.
time may be up for tonight's broadcast of The Secret Teachings. But don't worry, you can still catch us Monday through Friday right here exclusively on The Fringe FM. You can also subscribe to the show and montage archive while grabbing my books at thesecretteachings.info. To get in contact with us, you can email the show at rdgable at yahoo.com. Stay tuned to KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.